1: I'm Rob Freund. I'm an advertising and e-commerce attorney. I started my own practice in 2019 after being with Greenberg Trarig for close to seven years. I was a commercial litigator there. I did a lot of uh, false advertising class action defense work. And now what I do is I I represent direct-to-consumer brands, marketing agencies, talent agencies, and individual creators, and provide advice and counsel to try to avoid advertising litigation in the first place.
0: Oh, this is going to be good. So, thank you for being here. This is such a area of mystery for not just the world in general, but also I find for a lot of the firms and attorneys that that we work with, because. It is changing. I feel like there's, you know, things change all the time. And so that's, that's one thing we're going to talk about in addition to a lot of potential pitfalls. So the title for the show today is Social Media and the Law Top Legal Blunders to Avoid. So first, I feel like you've got, I, I already looked at some of the stories you have on your blog and some of these experiences and you know, with your with your clients, things that have come, come up and issues. And there's a lot there that I think people are not really paying attention to. So what's the first thing? What's the most common issue that you see when people are first contacting you?
1: There's a, There's a few that sort of generally start the process, an issue that someone will come to me with. Very common is brands or agencies Using content that they found elsewhere online on their yes. own pages. So, yeah. if a brand is sees an Instagram post, for example, a pretty common thing is a clothing brand. Yeah. a creator posts a picture of themselves wearing the clothing. Maybe they even tag the brand. Yeah, a lot of brands will assume, okay, well, they have. I can use that content on the brand's page either because they think, well, it's it's publicly available, so I can use it, or they tagged me, so I can use it. There's a lot of disputes around copyright issues with that and publicity, rights. So more generally, just using content and repurposing it or even commissioning content to use in your advertising, lack of clarity around the contracts or who gets to do what with that content is a big one.
0: Yeah. What about music? Because I noticed that you had some details there, and I feel like that is a real confusing area for a lot of people because you see everybody using these same certain songs. And of course there's like trending music on different platforms. So where's the safe place when it comes to using music?
1: The safest thing to do and the safest and easiest thing to do is use music that you have the rights to use through a platform that you can be certain has cleared all of the rights to that content for you. For example, there's a really popular one called epidemic sound. They have a huge library of different sounds and you can be sure that they have cleared all of the rights for all the possible ways that you could want to use that music commercially, editorially, or otherwise, they've got the sync licenses, they've got the mechanical licenses, everything. So when they say royalty free, you can be sure that that means I can use this however I want to, depending on which license you purchase. And people- Okay,
0: so you have to purchase a license for that platform? Yes. Okay, and so once you purchase that license, you now have the rights to use that, that music, and that's a, that's a good, safe place to be.
1: Right, and th- you know they're not the only one that provides that, sure. but that, that sort of service, you can be as safe as somebody could be in using it.
0: Okay, okay. So
1: the, the issues come up when, especially on TikTok, there's different libraries that are available to you, depending on what kind of account you have. If you have just sort of an individual account, you can use all sorts of popular tracks. If you have a commercial account, you're limited to TikTok's commercial library, which supposedly they have cleared all the rights for you to use in advertising. So sometimes brands will contract with influencers or creators to run ads on their behalf. And they assume that because the influencer has access to the broader library, well, I can use this trending song that's popular on the radio because the influencer is doing it. But we've had lawsuits against brands who have done that from big record labels. The brand is either contracted with influencers or posted on their own page using music from the broader library. And a couple courts have said you're liable for copyright infringement if you post it on your own page and you're potentially vicariously liable for what your influencers do because that's effectively your brand's advertising too.
0: Sure. Okay. So don't use the just the widely available stuff on TikTok. Make sure you're getting that licensed through one of the more reputable platforms just to add an extra layer of safety there.
1: That's that's the safest place that I would recommend.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So what other issues do you see come up more more frequently?
1: In terms of advertising, reviews are a common one right now. There's a yeah. lot of regulatory attention to Fake reviews, manipulating how customer reviews and testimonials are used, suppressing negative reviews, incentivizing them. Let's talk about
0: that. Let's get into that because that is something I, we talked about this for really briefly before we started recording. It's something I talk to people about probably on a weekly basis. So let's first talk about fake reviews, like buying reviews or, and would that fall under the same category as buying likes and subscribers?
1: Generally yeah that's okay. that's sort of the same issue. So okay. the the FTC has made it clear that buying and selling fake followers or fake signs of engagement is illegal. So they And what they're, have you
0: seen happen in terms of those kinds of issues? Uh, have they come up with client with some of your clients?
1: So in my practice what will typically happen is a client will say we have these landing pages, these funnels or this website we want to know what the risks are, explain them to us. And then what I will say is, well, here are the issues, here's what the law says, here's how similarly situated businesses have run into problems. And then ultimately, whether to take on a certain amount of risk is a business decision. (laughs) And I'll try to work with the client to, if some sort of changes need to be made, make them so that they align with what the client's risk tolerance is essentially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they're asked, should we do it?
1: <laughs> yeah, or if, if like, we is do this, this what yeah. are the risks? It seems
0: like everybody else is doing it. Why shouldn't yeah. we? Yeah. But okay. we
1: have seen FTC cases about it, at least one. And the, the reviews issues pop up in false advertising class actions. I haven't seen one yet that is yeah. solely about review manipulation, but... It, it's, it has been a, a claim that's asserted as part of a broader false advertising claim in a variety of consumer class actions.
0: So, and so where does that lead? I mean, they're basically building this whole case for they contracted maybe an agency or someone to do a bunch of advertising for them, and then they came back and did a bunch of fake reviews? Or it's part of a, a larger case in terms, of, in terms of what other kinds of elements
1: so it depends on who's doing the suing. For, yeah. for, the, for these consumer cases, it can be something like, well, I, I wouldn't have bought this dress if I knew that all of the testimonials on your website are fake. Yeah. Or I, I didn't know that they're all paid for. Yeah. Or I didn't know that there were actually 20,000 one-star reviews because you only show the five-star ones, something yeah. like that. And so you know, the damages theories can vary. From the regulator's perspective, like the FTC, the concern is basically the same. You're doing harm to the marketplace, you're deceiving consumers because that you're, you're basically omitting information that would be material in someone's purchasing decision and it's, it's unfair and causes consumer harm. That's basically the idea.
0: Okay, so I this is this seems like a silly question, but I feel like it still needs to be said. So if you're a law firm and you're looking and you're thinking, "Oh gosh, I'm, you know, maybe I'm brand new and <laughs> I don't have much of a online presence and everybody's talking about how important these reviews are." And you're thinking, "Maybe I should just go out to somewhere i'm not even going to mention the places where that i know of where you can do this and you know just quickly get someone in bangladesh to get me a few hundred reviews among a million other reasons why i mean you've already mentioned it's illegal if the ftc kind of figures out that it's fake but why is this such a bad idea
1: (laughs) i mean well setting aside the ethics issues because i can't claim to be an expert on that, but I, you, you can bet that your state bar would not look favorably upon yeah. just fabricating social proof. But if it's a completely wholesale fake review, the, it's just plain false advertising and arguably would support a fraud claim. The, the FTC's general stance is that all advertising has to be truthful, not misleading, and substantiated so all endorsements have to be from someone who has actually used whatever the product or service is that they're endorsing and it needs to reflect their honest opinion or belief even if they've been incentivized yeah so if you just buy a completely fake review from someone who's never experienced your product or service then you're essentially checking all the boxes of things that are wrong with that it, it, yeah so
0: okay so let's move on to negative reviews so this is something i also talk about all the time that really frightens a lot of lawyers and law firms in terms of being present on any kind of platform yelp being a main one that people are more concerned for some reason about yelp and their ability to leave negative things on yelp but i usually point out that you know You can get a negative review anywhere. It could be on Instagram. It could be on Google. It could be anywhere. And anyone, there's, you know, you're a lawyer. There's always reason for someone to be upset with the way a certain thing turned out. So what is, what do you typically say to, about negative reviews, what to do about them and the potential risk for that to happen?
1: One thing that you should absolutely not do, and which I've I've seen physicians get in trouble for is... Put a clause in your contract with your clients that prevents or, or attempts to punish them in the event that they leave a negative review. Oh the, my gosh! The Consumer Review Fairness Act prohibits so, those sorts of gag clauses in consumer contracts. So, if I understand why that would be appealing to want to just sort of silence that yeah. in, a, in a contract, but even presenting someone with that contract, even if they don't ultimately sign it. Is a violation of the CRFA. So definitely don't do that.
0: Yeah. But to your point, yeah,
1: I mean, (laughs) negative reviews are just a fact of doing business. Exactly. Yeah. Long enough, it's going to happen. And I mean, in some cases, it can appear more authentic than, wow, you have 200 five star reviews. Like, how did this happen? That
0: seems fake. And I will say, from a marketing perspective, I've read plenty of articles that talk about if you have a lot of reviews, let's say it's 200, and it's all five-star reviews people don't believe or trust that and because they they understand that's not real life that they're you especially if you're a lawyer like every time you you know settle a case one person's going to be unhappy (laughs) and so there's a likelihood that that unhappy person hopefully is on the opposing side but there's a likelihood that they come to your you know profile and leave you a review So even on Amazon reviews, regardless of how great this product is, there's some person out there that just didn't like it or is having a bad day. And so it is more trustworthy on reviews psychologically for people to see that it's, you know, 4.8 or 4.9. And then they can read those crazy reviews. And I do this a lot of times on hotels where I say, oh, okay, that is not you know, that person is cuckoo. And, uh, you know, that so that makes me believe even more in those positive reviews, because this was the outlier.
1: Right? Yeah, same thing. I, I mean, I do that, too. I'll, I'll look at restaurant reviews. And if there's a one star because somebody's Uber Eats was delayed, right? Uh, it's not going to affect whether whether right. I'm going to visit that restaurant.
0: Yeah, exactly. but
1: I think a lot of people get hung up on what to do about it and how to respond and in what sort of format. I think that and this is just you know this isn't like legal advice, but just my take on responding to negative reviews. Sometimes you will get people who are just mistaken. like they maybe your law firm sounds like a different one in a different part of the country, and you get right. a review. And it it seems effective to me when when those firms respond and say, you know this person was never a client according to our records and just leave it at that. Trying to argue with people in negative reviews just is never a good look. People are smart enough to understand what's going on generally. And if they're not, maybe you don't want them as a client anyway. So I don't think there's a lot of upside to trying to debate people if it's something like that, or even if it's somebody who is disappointed, unless it's a situation where you achieved a certain result and they're just saying something that's not true. You can say, you know, actually we, we took care of your case and please contact us if there's anything else we can do. Yeah. It's like a professional response that shows that you understand and you're setting the record straight if it needs to be without being combative.
0: Yeah, the advice I usually say is be quick about it. You know, don't let a negative review sit there for months because then that just is a kind of reflection on your systems and what people can expect when they come into your office. Like, you know, how how many other things do you have sitting around in your desk that you haven't replied to in months? And so it's mainly just show them how responsive and quick and effective and professional you are without getting into the nitty gritty. And, you know, like, like you were saying, if you just kind of want to open that conversation and ask them to contact you, that's one of the best things you can do. Like, let's just have this conversation offline. We know that you are unhappy with you know, the way things turned out and, you know, sorry about that, but let's talk about this somewhere else.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's good advice that I give to my clients in, in the business context too, because if you're racking up a lot of negative reviews as a business for a consistent issue on a place like Trustpilot or the BBB, that is a very, if you do not respond to those negative reviews or those negative comments, then the odds that that will draw the attention of a regulator are much more likely. And in consumer class actions, we'll see very commonly in the complaint itself, for example, if it's a a case about not being able to cancel a subscription, the plaintiffs will usually say, look at these 1000 negative reviews on Trustpilot and they'll screenshot them and put it in there. So if you, if you respond quickly and consistently, in a way that attempts to resolve it, then that is a good safeguard against more risk of a regulatory action or something like that. Well, and
0: dovetailing on that, even though it can be difficult and a pain, the more positive reviews that you have to offset that, that's super important. So even, so have a process for that. And the best time, psychologically, to ask people for a review is when you have a positive outcome. And even if it's not, 100% exactly what they wanted, but they enjoyed working with you or you were quick and whatever. Like if they have anything positive to say, do it at the moment or as close to that moment that as you can. So there's a reason that Trader Joe's gives out samples is because you, that you have got this sample and there's a psychology that happens in kind of this gratitude, but also obligation. So as soon as they get, you get that sample, you're like, thanks so much. And I'm kind of now thinking about buying this thing you know, more than I would have if you hadn't given me the sample. So think about that in terms of your work as well. Like you've given them something great and you know, some kind of a result that they were hopefully wanting but maybe not expecting. And then at that moment, that's when you ask them kind of like in Trader Joe's, now you are asking them to buy this thing or give that, you the review.
1: That's exactly what I do. So anytime a client responds with, like, thanks, this is great, or I really enjoyed working with you, that's when I'll say something like, you know, by the way, one of my goals this year is to get more Google reviews. If you feel so inclined, here's a link to do it, or something yep. like that. And yeah. the, the every person that I've, with one exception, that I do that with at that time will leave a positive review. Sometimes yeah. they'll say, hey, good timing. <laughs> like, right, exactly. Because they'll understand what I'm doing, but people don't, exactly. they don't see it as like salesy or anything. No. So,
0: It's just like, hey, you know, like you're saying this positive thing to me. Would you mind letting the rest of the world know, too? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is really important with the timing. Okay. so moving on. Let's talk about. Let's see what else. What other kinds of. You know, I know we were talking about buying likes and reviews and fake reviews and all of that stuff using music. What about having guests? in some way, let's say something like this, where you have a podcast or you have someone come onto your social media channel and they're a guest and they say something questionable, defamatory, problematic in some way. What is your responsibility for that?
1: If you're the host, you should think very carefully about whether you want to edit whatever that segment is out. Or not publish it because yeah. if if you record it and there's a defamatory statement made, something else that could subject the speaker to liability, you're both co-authoring that piece of content. So by publishing it, there's there's risk that you could be on the hook for a, a defamation type of claim as well. But even you know without doing a sort of liability risk assessment, it's just good practice to. Make sure that your content is uh, brand safe isn't the right way to put it in this context, but just use common sense about what you're putting out there. Well, in
0: terms of like a law firm, sorry to jump in, but like uh, another conversation we have all the time is how to talk about like testimonials, which are slightly different than a review because we're talking more specifically about like some sort of a case result. And sometimes there's privacy concerns there, d- depending on how the details of how that settlement worked out. But how, how can you safely talk about, like this is work that we did, and we wanna talk about our great results for this client without having those kinds of problematic issues where we don't wanna say something negative about, like for example, if there, it's just an employment lawyer, and th- we don't wanna talk negatively about this large company that they worked for that we got this settlement against.
1: Yeah, it's it's sort of a judgment call, but the the issues to think about are if you settled this case, it, what are the confidentiality terms of that settlement? Yeah. You certainly don't want to be in breach of that. You you also want to be careful about disclosing particulars of a certain result. And this sort of goes back to general false advertising principles. If a business is in their advertising representing an earnings claim or a performance type claim, then you need to ensure that whatever that result is reflects the typical expected result of the the typical person who's buying a similar product or a service. And if it isn't, then there's a, a certain form of disclosure that you need to make. It usually comes up in like the business coaching context, like this client or like did personal
0: a- injury lawyers, sure. where they're like five million dollars for you know whatever, and it's all dollar signs all over the front of their website.
1: Right. You, you should be sure that it's clear that you know this is not a, a typical expected result, and then you should disclose what the typical expected results are. That's yeah. a general advertising principle. Again, I'm not totally sure how the states regulate those sorts of presentations in the legal context, but the the same concept would apply regardless of the industry. Yeah. So the the more that especially if you're having someone on the show, like a client or something like that, or you're you have them film a testimonial, the more they can talk about the quality of your service and how yeah. good the experience was and how happy they were with the result unless I got a million dollar check in thirty days, yeah. The better. It's much much safer to speak in terms of satisfaction than specific results yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah. the other thing that we talk a lot about and I we won't get super into this but I just also wanted to mention it is your website terms so your policies and terms on your website kind of tie in with this idea of having those disclaimers about you know this is attorney advertising case results do not reflect blah 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 you know all of that legal stuff making sure that your terms on your website are up to date and that stuff changes we see it changing on a weekly basis from one state to the next It's really tricky to keep on top of it. And this is not a sponsored episode in any way, but we use a service where it is constantly, we embed it into the site and it's constantly updating as the laws change. So we recommend something along those lines because it's really hard to keep up with it. But just another kind of tip under, to kind of slide in to make sure that you've got those. If you're not using a service like that, you got to stay on top of it. Make sure that your website and the terms on your website are updated because the, Cookies stuff, the GDPR, like all of that stuff on your website can get messy. And we're seeing lots of lawsuits about that kind of stuff just because it's an easy way in. So, again, just a little legal issue to try to avoid. Are there any like new things, keeping that in mind, that you've seen new laws or things that are changing, like fresh type things that are popping up in terms of social media and the law and Things that are changing, like as opposed to the last few years, where people are getting stuck with things that they didn't see before.
1: My answer to that is the the reviews issues that we talked about. That there's new rules coming out from the FTC that are going to become finalized. There's just much more attention to how you're using reviews and testimonials. So it's convenient that we talked about that because that's also my main answer to this question, but also things like the use of artificial intelligence. There's ad agencies that are really pushing, using AI to either create user-generated content or things like that. And there's just a whole host of issues to pay attention to. The, The point that I would make that I usually tell clients or respond to people on social media, is there's there's a common misconception that because the technology is new it's unregulated so there's a lot of these agencies that are like well there's no ai law yet so we can use you know this model in this in this advertising or or, you know nobody really owns the rights to this content it's a mistake to think that the same advertising laws apply to new technology it's just we haven't yet had courts weigh in on every nuanced new issue
0: well and at the end of the day It doesn't necessarily have to be a law specific to AI technology. If you have AI write something and it's false and misleading... It doesn't matter who wrote it if you posted it on your blog post uh, yeah. on your blog. So I mean one way or the other, and you know, this is another topic that we've I've talked a lot recently about, but you really need to be careful with this AI stuff. We already have disclaimers in the content that we write to say that we do have AI tools that we use to optimize, check for SEO, make things better. But we do not use AI to write our content. We still use humans for that because it's not there yet. <laughs> it's, right. you know, and it's, there's so many potential issues that you are kind of facing by doing that, that it's not worth going down that road at this point. All right. So before we get to the book review, anything else that you want to add in terms of laws, social media, issues, potential things that you're seeing pop up, you know, any, any other words of advice?
1: I think we covered it pretty well. I, yeah. I, I think that it's important to think about the consumer or whoever your potential client is who's seeing your ads. I yeah. I'd like to say that, and I'm borrowing this from another advertising attorney who's a friend of mine. He's in-house at a telecom company, but he said something to one of our other friends who had this sort of like clever sort of sneaky idea for a web page to solicit donations. He was joking around, but semi-serious. And my friend said, listen, do you think you're being clever? If so, you, you might want to take a look at whether what you're doing is illegal. And that's, that's like g- generally pretty good advice. Like if, if you think that this is going to work because people don't fully understand the truth of what you're doing, probably a good time to really think and, and have somebody review it if, if you're not comfortable reviewing it yourself.
0: Right. And clever, like I'm using air quotes, clever is another word for sneaky. Like, and mm. sneaky pretty quickly, like you're down the road of, are, am I doing something legal? And if you have to ask that question, maybe let's back it up a little.
1: Yeah. At <laughs> let's le- review. It,
0: yeah. At, le-
1: at least think about it more carefully and then yeah. come up with your own risk tolerance.
0: Right. Well, and oh gosh, it just seems like there's so many better ways to do all these things. Because at the end of the day, the goal is, you know, all of these things are marketing tactics. And the goal is to get more traffic or more views or higher reputation or whatever. And all of a sudden, when you are looking at these things that you think are shortcuts or sneaky or clever or whatever word you want to use, you're doing the opposite. All of a sudden, you're going to destroy all of that work to build your reputation. And you're going to look like either a cheat or a fraud or someone who, you know, doesn't have the expertise that that you have worked so hard to, to build. So like, why would you put that at risk? It seems really silly.
1: Yeah, I mean, people are smart. They'll be able to understand if what you're doing is authentic or not. Right. And especially the types of people that you would like to have as clients, especially yes. will be able to suss that out.
0: Well, that's the other thing. Like you go go down those like slimy uh, avenues, that's the kind of client you're going to get, and that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> that <Right>. sounds like <laughs> a nightmare. <laughs> All right, so it is time for the book review. And I know you've got a good one to tie in to the whole conversation today about social media. So I did wanna mention too that we have this cool library on the website for the podcast where all the guests have recommended books. And so you can go in there and check out and browse, look for the next best thing. And they're usually related to the topic that we're talking about. So there's a lot of good good books. And so what is the book that you're gonna recommend today?
1: The book I recommend is called Deceptive Patterns Exposing the Tricks Tech Companies Use to Control You. It's written by this guy, Harry Brignall, and he coined the term dark patterns, which is now being used by the FTC and other regulators to describe marketing tactics that are intended or have the effect of misleading people.
0: Oh and so I like he, that.
1: It's called he, Dark Patterns. It's called
0: the book is called Deceptive Patterns, but Deceptive patterns. His, but his the, the yeah. term is Dark Patterns. The
1: term is Dark Patterns. That's he, cool. He coined that in 2010. It's what the FTC oh, wow. uses to describe things like if the you know confusing dialogue options, like no, I would not like to cancel, or where it should be like <laughs> you know yes or no yes. clearly, or like yes. one box is smaller than the other, or it's yeah. pre-checked. Things like that is just one example. And he's, he's been an expert witness in a number of cases. He works with the FTC to help them build cases. He's, he's really the guy that's been studying the marketing side in terms of the mechanics of how these things work, the psychology of it, and the state of global regulation of these sort of deceptive marketing tactics. And and the book does a really good job of explaining it to the general audience, both, you know, what was the genesis of these things? Yeah. How are they deployed? what's the what are their effects and how is the law trying to tackle it I'll, well, i will I've, disclose that he gave me a copy for free because we've nice. been friends on twitter but certainly worth a read
0: well so i've been doing this long enough that i remember in the days before the can spam act so i don't know if everybody can kind of go back in their foggy dusty memory before we had requirements around the unsubscribe button but it's not just You have to have this unsubscribe button. It also has rules around how when you click, first of all, it should be a one-click thing. And it should be very clear, like this is how you unsubscribe and you shouldn't have to do much more than a second click and you're done. But the reason that that is the way it is now is because it was such a mess before that. And it was like, you had to go through like so many hoops. It would take forever. They claimed, you know, these companies would claim, oh, this is gonna take like a week or two. It's like, what are you talking about? This should be automated thing. Like you shouldn't have to have a human touch this. And so this is kind of a similar kind of thought process between, behind like these sort of deceptive ideas in making it really complicated. And then the psychology behind that, like why would you want people to have this, once again, super negative experience with your company where they're just trying to get off your email list
1: and <laughs> like, right. just
0: make it easy and they're going to assume that the rest of working with you is going to be the same way.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the area that I address where this comes up most commonly has to do with subscriptions. And yeah. there's there's a patchwork of state laws that have varying requirements. The FTC has their own requirements. They're updating those as well. And it's if you go on Trustpilot for any subscription-based company and you look at all the one stars, if there's something that's sticky about trying to cancel, that upsets customers like nothing else. That yeah. will increase certainly encourage people to go write a negative review more than anything else and there's just an ongoing wave of class actions about it's either too hard to cancel or you didn't disclose the terms or you know you didn't send the right confirmation email or or whatever the state law violation is so
0: yeah and there are laws already in place for all of these things. So like if you do have any kind of a subscription and it could be just like an ongoing service that they are, you know, being billed on a regular basis for. So it doesn't have to be like vitamins, you know, <laughs> like we've all seen all of those, you know, very kind of questionable things I remember clearly that there was a like an essential oil company that at one point somehow I got subscribed to. I won't use the name, but it took me months to get unsubscribed. And this was not that long ago. I wanna say this was within the last couple of years. And I kept thinking, Oh gosh, there are lawsuits waiting to happen here. (laughs) So you know, it just shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. And you're going to get in serious trouble for making things more complicated than they need to be aside from the damage to your reputation and your brand. So that's just such a bad idea.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, again, just like consider your consumer. Would would you want to have to place a phone call and be put on hold to cancel your cable? Probably not. So you shouldn't implement something similar in your own business.
0: Yeah, exactly all right so what's one big takeaway we talked a lot about all these potential pitfalls issues places to make sure that you're covered in social media what's a big takeaway that you'd like uh, everyone to get from this episode
1: i think just be be mindful about the way that you're marketing especially on social media and how you're using content that you didn't create on your own whether it's reviews or testimonials or a, a video that you're having created before you click post think about the messages you're conveying whether you've cleared all the rights to it and it that that small amount of time before you click post where you just think through those issues can save you a hell of a lot of money down the road if something were to go wrong that you didn't think about
0: yeah well and also are you trying to be clever <laughs> like <laughs> clever with the air quotes you know which also translates to sneaky or are you trying to get around something like use that as part of your that kind of thing you're describing where that that moment where you're reviewing like let's not be clever just be you know represent your brand represent your service represent your firm and whatever you're trying to say but don't try to be sneaky and clever like that's just that's kind of a slippery slope right there <laughs> yeah Awesome. Rob Freund is an advertising attorney in LA and has all the tips. So follow him on all the social media. We, we will link to all of your social media on the show notes and the page and you know, for all the places where you're going to find this podcast. So thank you so much for being here. That was really helpful.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is fun.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.